If you don't love Chicago, then I don't know if you really know how to love it all. Hi, I'm Alan Monticilio, and this is Balak Bayan, a podcast for Filipino-Americans. This is my very first episode, and thank you so much for listening, and thank you to all of you who already follow the show on social media and who've told their loved ones about it. This is going to be a show about getting to know other Phil Ams from all walks of life, no matter where we live. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, my guest on this episode is Sarah Lynn Pablo. She's a writer and poet from Chicago. She co-founded Filipino Kitchen, which is an organization that connects Filipinos and Filipino-Americans with their heritage. For the last four years, she and Natalia Rojas ran Cultura Festival. That's a Filipino food and arts festival in Chicago. Now, this is a conversation about not just Filipino food and the early days of Filipino Kitchen, but also about growing up in between places, about Chicago, and and a whole lot more. A quick editorial note, uh, we recorded this interview a few months back, and uh, since then, Sarah Lynn has taken a step back from Filipino Kitchen. Without further ado, here's my interview with Sarah Lynn Pablo. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. So we've talked before uh, mainly about Filipino food and the history of Filipino food and Cultura Festival, uh, and we'll get to all of that in a minute, but I want to start by asking you about your childhood. Uh, so where did you grow up? Um, what was that like, especially, especially you know, as we're thinking about Filipino identity. So I grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Des Plaines, and I grew up in the 80s. So that suburb in particular was not very diverse. There were not a lot of Filipinos living there back then. So I described my childhood, it was kind of stark. I credit my mom for bringing me to the Philippines every summer when I was a kid. And she continued that even after my dad passed away when I was 11. So my childhood growing up Filipino, I describe as very stark. So when we go to the Philippines, like there were a lot of, I was experiencing, it was a very different experience than what I was used to. And as a Chicago suburbs. Yeah, absolutely. And like, as a kid kind of processing, like, what does this mean? And like, what's my place? And like, so I, I think I belong to this place and I guess I belong to this place too, but like there's so many different ways in which I feel not really fully of each place. And of course, as a kid, that was like hard to articulate, right? So <laughs> I would describe it like that. And, and I look back on it very fondly now, like just being able to um, have relationships with family members it's been really wonderful to at least have some time with them and, you know, also be able to like share my childhood with some of my cousins and my aunties. I, I feel really lucky in that way. Where, where in the Philippines would you go? My mom's next eldest sister, uh, she was the head of the fisheries department at the University of the Philippines, Diliman. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time in Diliman, which is a very special place in Manila, in Metro Manila, I should say, you know, it's like a college campus, like lots of young people, lots of activism, um, very progressive, lots of ideas. And, and my aunt, who is a, you know, microbiologist, she just 
knowing so much about food and like always talking about fish, how to fish, what's the best way to prepare fish? Like how do you bring fish to market? So I'd spent a lot of time in Quezon City and Diliman and then um, also in my mom's province in La Union. And it's a place called uh, Angin. Where's that? It's in the north. So kind of on the flip side of that, right? So you spent your summers in the Philippines, but you grew up in Des Plaines, this uh, suburb of Chicago. And uh, there weren't very many other Filipinos, right? Yeah, in Des Plaines, I don't think there were. Um, I remember in my high school, there were a couple of Filipino um, and kids who were of mixed race Filipino descent. So, but I would, I don't remember in like grammar school or grade school. I also went to like Catholic school for a little while and like uh, private schools. So um, the class size was much, much smaller. Um, but yeah, so the, when I say Stark, what I mean by that is, um, I guess looking back on it now would be in terms of race and class, even though in the unit United States, we weren't really considered well off by any means like we were probably middle lower middle class or something but then like going to the philippines it's like oh my gosh you're balik bayan so you must have all these things and you know i think as a kid it was hard to understand like where that perspective was coming from and also just the um poverty that you would see you know like that people were living in the conditions that they were and just you know um, you wouldn't see stuff like that in displays necessarily, although, you know, homelessness is a problem everywhere. Right. But like, as a kid, you're not really, you know, at least in displays, like, a, you know, cause it's in Chicago, like our climate's different. So you don't really see lots of homeless folks around in a non-urban area. Um, yeah. So I think those are the things that are just like, you know, and then also racially where it's like, okay, I seem to look like everyone else. But I don't sound like everyone else. I don't because I, I didn't grow up, you know, speaking Tagalog or Ilocano, which is my parents' dialect. Um, and I can I get what's going on, but I'm also a separate from it too. Yeah. So uh, you know, as you know, I, I moved to the Midwest, you know, pretty recently, a bit more than a year ago. Um, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that until a few years ago, I had no idea that I had no idea that there were Filipinos in Chicago. I mean, I, you know, I live in Champaign, but you know, there's there's actually more than 130,000 Filipinos in the Chicagoland area, it's the uh, fifth largest population of Filipinos in the U.S. and and uh, I feel like people from Chicago are like really, really proud to be from Chicago. There's like this civic pride, this intense civic pride to uh, people from that city. Um, as someone from the Chicago area, do you do you feel that way as well? Oh, totally. I <laughs> rep Chicago every day, all the time, especially when I'm not in Chicago. Um, if you don't love Chicago, then I don't know if you really know how to love it all. Like, it's just <laughs> such a place that's, it's so messy and like complex and like, it's heartbreaking, but it's also like, there's so many good things about the area. Um, so many beautiful people, lots of really wonderful history. So yeah, yeah I really love being from here. <laughs> so as I said earlier, you know, the way you and I know each other is mainly through your work with Filipino Kitchen. And, you know, back when I worked for a podcast called Racist Sandwich, uh, you know, you just told me a little bit about your childhood. And I'd like to jump ahead to the time in your life right before uh, Filipino Kitchen. What was going on in your life uh, during that time? 
So just before Filipino Kitchen, I was trying to be a travel writer. <laughs> um, in undergraduate, I majored in English writing poetry. So I was like, I really want to be a writer. Like, I never allowed myself to do that after I finish undergraduate. Like, I did what everybody thinks they quote unquote should do. What I should do, especially as an only child, is like the right thing, you know, finish, gra finish undergraduate, move back to Chicago and get a job. So I did that for like a decade. And then after another, after a decade, I was like, you know what, maybe I actually do want to be a writer. Like maybe I should figure out what that is. And um, travel was just a subject that I, and, and I'm still fascinated with. Um, of course, I couldn't afford to travel all the time. And, you know, I, I wrote about Chicago and written about places that I had been to before. But just to keep up with my practice of writing, I'd write about food. It was usually whatever recipe I was cooking that night. And it was just honestly to keep up with the practice of writing. But until then, I'd never really thought about food as subject. And then an interesting thing happened on a blog. I got these really engaged emotional responses from complete strangers um, who just revealed things to me that I was really stunned and like honored. And this was a reaction to content in a way that, you know, my writing, my travel writing never had elicited before. And so I started to think, well, maybe this is something, something I should look at. Because of course, I was writing about the recipes of my childhood, right? I was like, okay, well, maybe I should learn how to make chicken adobo. How do I do that? Let me make lugao. What do I do? You know, and just, you know, of course, we're in the age of like, you know, everybody's posting recipes online, right? So I look at what people were doing online. And then I talked to my mom on the phone. So, so things like that. So that was kind of like the right before Philippine Kitchen. You mentioned Lugao. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. I don't know if that specifically was one of the blog posts you were talking about, but I noticed that you know a few months back you were you reposted that one of those comments that you got on a Lugao recipe that you wrote. As you were saying, it wasn't just you're not just putting a list of ingredients when you're when you were talking about writing recipes on your blog. You were you were saying you know you were calling your mom and figuring out what how many what what ingredients are in this again, what proportions are there again. And actually, I actually have the comment here. I want to, if it's okay, I want to kind of read, read, read that and then, uh, yeah, and then please. talk to you about it. I, 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 yeah. Yes. Um, uh, so the comment reads, thank you so much for sharing this. I've had a nasty cold and cough for three solid weeks and my body craved this dish. However, we lost our mother last year to cancer and she's no longer a phone call away to walk me through her recipes. I reached out to my siblings and we each took our best guess as to the ingredients from the years of watching our mother prepare the dish on cold winter nights as we grew up. I love the simplicity of your recipe, and it is one I found using cooked rice just as my mother did. Thank you. Uh, and then you, you actually, you captioned it. I still talk about this. Thank you for changing my life. Was that the turning point for you or when you realized how powerful food can be? I mean, that's that's not just like, oh, this taste, it tasted good. That There's a lot more. It's just so much more than that. That's the exact moment <laughs> where I was like, wow you know, this is someone who's lost their mom and is looking for comfort. And they and their siblings can't find or like put together the recipe with the cooked rice and the way they remember their mom doing it. And like, what a beautiful like gift to be able to give someone even though it wasn't like intended like that. You know what I mean? Like, like, gosh, like just a phone call away. The fact that she used that phrase, which I used in 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 the recipe, I'm like, it just still gets me to my gut. Like, wow. 
right? I mean, you you weren't planning on this, but you had a hunch, right? That like writing about, or you were writing about food because, you know, you, you wanted to be a writer. I mean, how, how does that turn into Filipino Kitchen? So that comment made me look at and think about what food writing is and what media about food is. Um, and I don't know if you have the timestamp on that, but um, I think by then, you know, Andrew Zimmern had said, you know, like the next big thing type comments. And um, then it was like, okay, well, where are Filipinos writing about food? Like, I know that people are writing food about, sorry, writing about Filipino food in the Philippines. But I didn't really know if folks were writing about Filipinos or Filipino Americans were writing about Filipino food in the United States or other parts of the diaspora, right? Um, and I just got a sense that there were things that were that were lacking in some of those other mainstream takes on our food, like bits of history connecting to what's happening at in home at home in the Philippines to what's happening to Filipinos um, wherever they're migrating to, just seeing the people who are making the food, you know, instead of kind of centered on this person, other person from outside our culture who's experiencing the food. And I understand that those folks have a role because they create a bridge a lot of times. And maybe it's just a jumping off point for somebody to really start either investigating their own history or like understanding that like this tradition that's been handed down to me is really beautiful. And this manifestation of it in the form of food, especially when we don't know our languages. And that's a, you know, that's a whole like kind of other topic, right? But related, it can be really a beautiful way for Filipino Americans and folks of Filipino descent to start to get to know who they are. Yeah. I mean, and clearly, even from that initial comment on your blog, that that there clearly is a need for people, for Filipino Americans just within our own community to feel connected to where we came from because that person was clearly looking for it. Right. In those moments when you really need comfort or when you really want, you want, when you want to celebrate something or when you, yeah. It, and it, even on an ordinary day when you're like, you know, just missing that person and are like, you know, I just wish I had mom's chicken adobo right now or, or dad's, you know, barbecue or whatever it is. It's just like, those people are still part of us. And, you know, often the way that we interact the most is around the table or at the kitchen. So that's where all the activity happens, right? So it's the heart of the house. And I think that as adults, we carry that on. And, you know, whether we have our own families or we, you know, start our own traditions, it's always in some way either rooted in or in reaction to what we, what we had or didn't have as children. So what what does this manifest in, in terms of Filipino kitchen, like early on? In the beginning, um, so I'm a writer. Natalia is a wonderful photographer. We've had uh, very parallel Filipino-American experiences. And our mission was to document what's happening with our food and, and talk about like its links to history and like how are we connected in these ways and just to have conversations. And it quickly took off as well to hosting events like pop-up dinners, like collaborating with chefs, doing things on our own um, to have the food more visible. We have these big sheets of paper. They're almost like giant post-it notes. And one night we were sitting around like, all right, 
what would we want to do if we could do anything with Filipino kitchen? And we just like, you know, do pop-ups, collaborate with chefs, like just kind of like this brain dump, you know, write books, do films, um, make a festival, like just giant ideas. We're like, oh, that looks awesome. But then like lots of those things started coming true. Like, um, because one thing, at least in the Chicago area, we realize is that um, in order to in order to talk about the food, document and write about the food, photo- photograph the food, like you need to have lots of it around all of the time. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't a lot of Filipino food here in the city. There is. It's just to say, like, we need it more. <laughs> and also just from a creator standpoint, it's like, like, there's one thing to look to, to document something from an outs- outsider standpoint. And it's quite another to, like, just jump in it yourself try to do whatever that is and, and then write about it or then photograph it because you get a deeper level of appreciation for, you know, like the restaurant industry, the service industry and like what it actually takes to like put together a Filipino restaurant, make it successful. And there was a conversation also floating around that time that we started about like, why aren't there more Filipino restaurants in the United States, given that there are so many Filipinos here and, you know, a lot of theories were kind of bounced back and forth. But like, honestly, the restaurant industry is freaking hard. <laughs> so, you know, and, and anybody who's worked for any stretch of time, either front of house, back of house, managing it, they're also very expensive, like food costs and like learning, you know, like where to get the best, you know, like the cheapest, whatever, or the thing that'll work for, you know, whatever you need for your dish. So especially from a cuisine like the Philippines, which is all the way on the other side of the world. And like, you know, Chicago's landlocked, so <laughs> we don't have a ton of great seafood. But yeah, so so getting to to learn all of that from the inside, like and basically just having the audacity and the courage to be like, you know what, let's let's draw on our talents. Like we're not some spring chickens out here. We've got experience in running events and doing marketing and PR. Like, you know, we found we, we relied also as well on a lot of the relationships that Natalia and I both developed over a decade of being involved with the community. So those things were really key to our success in throwing pop-ups in uh, our festival, Cultura Festival, and other events that we do. Yeah. What was the first Cultura Festival like specifically? It was crazy. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, crazy in the best way possible. It was, it was swamped. It right. was, it was like, okay, you know, like doing the sign of the cross. Hopefully, this will go well. Um, so, like, where was it? What kind of space was it in? So, it's at a place called Emporium Logan Square, and it's a beer cade. So, it's a really big space with video games and foosball and pool tables and, you know, beer. Um, and we were like, hey, what if we, because logistically thinking, like, Natalia is the mastermind behind all this. Like, okay, if we're going to do a festival, like, do we really want to, like, rent porta potties and, like, get security guards and, like, like, let's just make it successful. <laughs> like, so we developed relationships with um, this bar And they basically were like, took a chance on us. And we started selling tickets. And at first, like once we got past a couple hundred tickets sold, we're like, okay, expenses are covered. We're good. You know, it was like the day of the festival. We're looking at how many tickets were being sold. It's like, okay, I think we've we've got around 470 tickets sold. Okay, 
great. Awesome. And then we said, they're not all going to show up like, you know, at 11 o'clock when we door open the doors. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely not all going to show. It's like Filipino time. Right. So lo and behold, there was like a line down the block. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at Natalia, like she's looking at me. I'm like, do you know these people? I'm like, I don't, I don't know these people. Like these are Filipinos like coming out of the word work, right? Like with their friends, with their kids, with their Lola's, with their aunties. It was beautiful. Right. Um, And it was swamped. So we had a thousand people come that day. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I remember at noon, I was, you know, kind of just milling around, just sort of like making sure everything was okay. And like the lines were so packed that like, just in that maybe five seconds, I was looking around, like no one was moving. Like (laughs) no food was being served. Like the chefs were like trying to get out the dishes as fast as possible. And like people were waiting, but like nothing was moving. I was just like, oh my God. I like try not to freak out. And I don't want people to get upset because they're, you know, hungry and not getting fed. Um, and like trying to calm myself down, but also like, you know, that's a good problem, right? It definitely showed us that people are literally hungry for more Filipino food. So yeah, and it has proved over the years to be a very important um, community space where folks meet, where um, our community-based partners can talk about their initiatives to a public that is you know, basically who they want to be talking to, whether it's about immigrant rights or Filipino veterans being recognized by the United States government, finally, or just a place for us to look around and be like, hey, it's beautiful to be us. And look at all these amazing things that we're creating, whether it's music, these wonderful dishes or other kinds of art. It's really great time, I think, for everyone. You know, when when thinking about inclusivity, especially, I I will confess to being someone who has described, and and I think this happens to a lot of Filipinos. I think you know they ask people ask you about Filipino food and what it is, and like what is it? I realize I don't know because there aren't a lot of restaurants. Isn't that crazy? And they're like, yeah, yeah, huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but I will confess to actually when when pressed for for simple broad descriptions about Filipino food, I kind of say that there's a lot of pork and it's very fatty and there's a lot of vinegar. Like those are the things that I mm. I go to. And actually embedded in that is just the idea that Filipino food isn't healthy and that it's mostly meat. Uh, I imagine, I mean, you even describe going back to what you said earlier about there being a lot of fish in your life. And then also with this, with what do you try to do through a cultura that that just isn't really, tr- isn't true at all. Yep. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. I mean, yeah, it's it's um, you know, there and there are reasons why people say that Filipino food is unhealthy. Reasons being that when Filipinos migrate to a country like America and then all of a sudden you have especially in Chicago, you have all this cheap meat and in their minds like psychologically like having pork and like lechon is and like steak even like beef is not that common in the Philippines. Yeah, Filipino food is not unhealthy. It doesn't have to be unhealthy. Like you can make anything unhealthy. Um, but um, thinking about, it, I mean, and this draws from my experience of you know, like spending my summers in the Philippines. It's like I saw what was on the table. It's fish. It's fruits. It's you know, different kind of kakanin. It's like street food out in the street. And, you know, fish balls and all of that, you know, isao, bibinka, like just different things that you connect with life there. So thinking about 
Filipino food in a Western context, there's a bit of a disconnect. Like we don't have courses, <laughs> you know, like in Filipino food, it's like, oh, your appetizer is blah, blah, blah. Like, no, <laughs> that's, that's not how Filipino food in the Philippines works. But like what I see a lot of chefs and restaurants trying to do is to figure out how to, you know, have these dishes and these flavors work in a westernized context and in a restaurant western restaurant context um, versus like something like a carinderia or like a street cart you know that you might have at the mall or like just on your way to work or whatever so it has to fit in people's fabric of daily life otherwise it's, it's just not going to work so you have to have those access points that people can kind of wrap their head around uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, when we come back we will continue this conversation with sarah lynn pablo stay tuned Hi, this is Victoria, Alan's little sister in San Francisco, California. Balik Bayan is sponsored by Alan recording this in his closet. The best way to support the show is to tell your loved ones about it and follow the show on social media, whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook, both at Balik Bayan Show. You can also listen on the show's website, balikbayanshow.com, and get in touch with ideas of your own. Email Alan at talk at balikbayanshow.com. Okay, we're back. And uh, Sarah Lynn, you're going to be the first guest to try out this Filipino lightning round idea I have. I definitely stole it from another podcast I love uh, called Another Round. I don't really have a good name for this right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll come up with, with another one, uh, with, with one at some point. But all right, uh, you all ready to go? Yes. All right. Uh, do you have a nickname? <laughs> okay. Wait. Um, so people in college call me Pablo, and that's because there was another friend in our group whose name was Sarah. But no, I don't. I generally don't have a nickname. People call me Sarah, Sarah Lynn. People from college, they call they call me Pablo. But other than that, I don't have any nicknames. <laughs> okay. Uber or mango? Oh. I know that's an unfair question. Mango. How do you feel about karaoke? Love. Do you have a go-to song? Yes. It's um, Bust a Move by Young MC. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. We need to go karaoke sometime next yeah, time. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, were you raised Catholic? Yes. Uh, would you call yourself Catholic now? Um, no. I think I'm, oh, spiritually, I guess I'm more open like I've, it's interesting. Like I've done things like the Camino de Santiago, which uh -huh. is a 500 mile pilgrimage across Northern Spain with like, yeah. and that's super, can be super Catholic. Yeah. My parents um, did that. Yeah. But I also don't go to church every Sunday, but when I do, I do like to sing. Like I, I choose my churches because they have wonderful hospitality and a really good choir. So, and music program. Um, you know, and I've also been learning more about our Philippine, pre-Philippine indigenous spiritual traditions, too. And I feel like none of those things are in conflict with each other. Which Filipino food has been ruined the most by the Filipino food is the next big thing trope, I guess? Mm, most ruined. Uh, I mean, I love the color purple, but like the ube Instagram the fanaticism <laughs> is just like you just gotta like just stop that you know like just, 
just work with the ingredient the way that it's supposed to be worked with. Like not just because you have a purple. I love purple is my favorite color, but um, per, ube is such a subtle flavor that you can't just like willy nilly throw it into whatever and just expect it to be great. Like you got you got to know your ingredients. Where are you on Balut? Um, yes. I pers- I personally don't like my mother loves Balut and I have specific memories of like being on a bus from Manila to um, La Union, like her home province, and then stopping at a truck stop and then somebody with a basket full of stuff on their head, like coming around the rows of the buses and then her plucking out a balut and like, you know, tapping it and then like sipping out the juice from inside and then eating it like, you know, and she's just she's she's an amazing like eater like she loves she loves and appreciates food like so much. Um, and so it used to gross me out, honestly, like as a little kid growing up in the suburbs, I was like, yeah, like what's that? You know, like doesn't stuff come from a grocery store? This is weird. Right. But, um, the way that I heard it explained to me when I was, uh, studying in a study abroad program at the Ateneo de Manila university is that, um, so if you eat chicken and you eat eggs, why don't you eat what's in between? Like, does something happen to the chicken that makes it somehow inedible then? No, it doesn't. It's like on its same continuum. So it's essentially, if you eat chicken and you eat mm. eggs, like, balut should be all good. Like, you know, I think our eyes, our aesthetics and our eyes are attuned to like a westernized kind of like sterile view of oh, what totally, food is. Yeah. So I think that's where the kind of, Oh, I hate fear factor, but yes, the fear factor bit about, right. um, you know, balut specifically. But, you know, we had a balut eating contest at our second cultura and it was amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. That's fantastic. Yeah. Intergenerational food eating contest. I definitely am a, am a fan of. Yes. <laughs> so on a scale of one to ten, uh, one being non-existent and ten being fluent, how would you rate your mastery of, of Tagalog and other dialects that are connected to your heritage? Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. 10 is super fluent? Yeah, 10 is fluent. One is like nothing. Okay, so I would say that my Tagalog is like, it's serviceable. Like, I can't watch the news and being like, oh my God, that was whatever. Like, I need like simplified news. And I can understand what's going on. I think I can write better than I speak, actually. So I'm going to put myself squarely in the four or five range. All right. <laughs> and then as far as Ilocano, I'm working on that more. My listening vocabulary is okay, um, but it's definitely less than Tagalog because at the University of Pittsburgh, they have a language lab. So if you have five students who want to learn the language, they have to find a teacher for you. Oh, wow. So that's how I was able to learn Tagalog in, in, Pittsburgh. in college. Um in Pittsburgh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's awesome. Yeah, so my Ilocano needs a little bit more work, and I am working on that. And I, I, I know I bug my mom every time, like, how do we say this word in Ilocano? But yeah, it's the language of my both my parents grew up speaking. So I, I would love to be able to deepen that more. Sarahlyn, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
That was Sarah Lynn Pablo. You can find her on Twitter at Sarah Lynn Pablo and on Instagram at Sarah Lynn Eats. And uh, I guess that's episode one. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or wherever else you get your shows. You can also listen at balakbayanshow.com and find the show on Twitter and Facebook at balakbayanshow. You can also send me an email. I'm at talk at balakbayanshow.com. Balakbayan is produced by me, Alan Montesilio. Theme music by Arvi Mendoza, a Filipino disco pop songwriter from Detroit, and by Blue Dot Sessions. And the show's logo is by Nicola Pizarro. Now, normally the show will come out every two weeks, but this time I'll be back a week from today when I'll share my interview with Natalia Rojas, who also co-founded Filipino Kitchen. So I'll see you all then. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>